Ladies and gentlemen, what's going on? I have a really, really rare guest here today, all the way from Australia. Australia, you guys are in for a treat because I've never had somebody on the show about this certain topic slash industry. And he's going to be the first one to tell you this is something that is definitely not spoken about as much. And what that is, is exiting your business, finding an exit plan, selling out your business. So all the way from Australia, I have Simon here with me today. Simon, welcome to Essential Entrepreneurship with me. Man, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, man. You know, when I have long, long-term um, calls, per se, international calls, the one thing that still blows my mind to this day is, like, we still have the technology to make this happen. Like, Holy shit. And by the way, you can swear on the show, but it's like, holy yeah, shit. Cool. Like, it's like, I'm talking to somebody in Australia in real time. Whereas yeah. maybe, maybe 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago, and even a hundred years ago, you would have to go on a ship and yeah. go at sail for months, if not a year to get to Australia yeah. to have a conversation. So still blows my mind, man, yeah. the technology yeah. we have. Yeah. Man, I hear you. It's um, it's funny, you know, because I I was born in Canada, actually, sort of a small unknown fact to most people, but um, came out here when I was just two. But um, you know, I still remember, and I'm a little bit older than you, America. But uh, you know, when I when I still remember being a kid, and we'd get on the phone, we like once a year to call the relatives in Canada, right? And you only did it once a year because a phone call was so expensive, right, to call overseas, and it was it was crappy quality, it was really terrible, and you know, it's um it was just just a bizarre kind of experience considering these days you know you can click a button and talk to anybody virtually any country you like um so yeah but mind you i'm still amazed that we've had this technology for 20 years and it took a global pandemic to force us to start using it properly <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah that's another thing too man it's like you know because of the global pandemic it's like it's almost like people were separated but then kind of re-brought together almost with zoom I don't know. It's quite nice, though. So anyway, glad to have you here, man. It's definitely an interesting topic that's not spoken about enough. Um, when you and I crossed paths, I was like, dude, I, I got to have this guy in the show just because this isn't a topic that you have all the time. And the topic yeah, that is spoken about is like, all right, how to start a company, how to build it up. But that last part, you don't hear too much about that. So Yeah, no, you're spot on. And it's around for a couple of reasons but um i think two, two things to that one i think that a lot of entrepreneurs don't like talking about exiting because in some way they feel like they're almost betraying their company or their baby you know oh i can't talk about exit this is my thing you know i <laughs> um yeah i think i think people feel like they're they're betraying their company by talking about exiting it and and it's really not the case, right? Like we all exit our business one day, whether we like it or not. And so I guess my view is always you're far better off to plan for these events than just leave them to chance. Um, and, and let's be honest, right? Like life throws a lot of curveballs at us. You know, we, as we were just saying, we've just come coming through, we're still not out of it, coming through a global pandemic. Now, if we went back two years ago, you and I, I guarantee we weren't talking or even worried or even thinking about a global pandemic. Mm. But look what it did and how much it upset the world and how much it's changed lives. So, you know, we don't need things on a global scale to upset our businesses and our lives. Lots of stuff can happen. And so understanding what your potential exit options are 
and how to potentially plan for them a little bit is, is a really important strategy for managing risk and ultimately even protecting your wealth. So, so I think that's, they're really, really critical points. But, you know, the, the other one thing I'll just add to that, Enrique, is that, you know, I talk to lots of business owners and, and a lot of them are saying to me, ah, Simon, I'm not thinking of exit, I'm growing, man, I'm growing, I'm on, you know, that's the path I'm on. And I always sort of say, well, where are you growing to? And, and, you know, I often get blank stares at that. Like, what, what do you mean? Like, what a stupid question. Like, I'm just growing, you know. Give me give me more revenue. I want to 10x my revenue, man. I'm going to blow this thing up. And I'm like, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. I'm excited here. But what's the end game? Why are you growing? Because, you know, to me, <laughs> there's an organism on the planet that grows just for the sake of growing. It's called cancer. It's a really horrible bloody organism, right? You know, it's it has no purpose. It just grows. Hmm. And so... I'm always sort of saying to business owners, you know, we're not born to just do business, right? Business is just this human construct. We're born to live our life, right? And so I just think that your business should be a vehicle for delivering you the life you want. So the big question is not what do you want to grow your revenue to? It's what kind of life do I want? You know, how do I want to spend my time what kind of quality of life do i want you know and then and then you can say well how much money do i need to facilitate that life and now let's go and reverse engineer and build a business to deliver that right because you could be slaving your guts out for 60 80 hours a week trying to 10x to the next level of revenue or 10 levels of revenue or whatever you want to call it but really what you you know if you'd actually just increased your business by 50 percent and restructured slightly you could be living the life of your dreams and not having to put in all that effort and take all that risk so I love that. That's man. what having an exit plan is about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I love that. It's so easy to fall down that rabbit hole of scale, 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 build, 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 yeah. and to lose actually like maybe the main reason why you got in business in the first place. It's just so totally. easy to fall down that rabbit hole and to kind of lose that um, that kind of inner vision, right? And yeah. then, well, and I think too, a lot of people get into business because they they're kind of good at something, you know, like, hey, I'm, maybe they have a job. They're working for a company. They realize they're good at, maybe they're good at building something or selling something or doing whatever. And then for whatever reason, they stop working and then they kind of fall into their business, right? Oh, well, you know, I'm kind of good at this. I'll do a bit more of that. And mm-hmm. then they, because they're good at it, it takes off a bit and they start realizing success. And let's be honest, success feels good, right? So you start feeling, well, this is great. And, you know, it's sort of people, sometimes it evolves into their calling, right? They don't, people don't wake up one day and go, I'm going to sell widgets. That's my thing. I love widgets, you know, like they just realize after doing it for 10 years, like, holy crap, man, I'm actually really damn good at this. And when I do it, I feel good. You know, maybe this is my calling. So it's it's kind of like it doesn't necessarily have that aha moment up front. It can come way down the track. Um, but people do get caught up in the journey of doing the, the widget, whatever you want to call it, um, without thinking about, you know, well, what does the next phase look like? And, you know, is what, what does that end game look like? <laughs> I love that, man. So, you know, what I'm curious about is like what I guess – what is the biggest mistake that a business owner will make or will do when when it comes to kind of selling their business? Yeah, 
Yeah. Look, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put every, there's a couple of things that I'll I'll touch on, but I'll, I'll put it under the umbrella of not being planned, right? You're not not being organised and actually having an ultimate plan of what you're trying to achieve. Um, what does that mean? Well, you know, I think a lot of people, certainly a lot of my clients over the years, you know, they're working away. You know, I think we all have these moments. We all have ups and downs, right? In our business, in a job, whatever, we have ups and downs, and. <laughs> You know, when people are in their down moment, they, they have this, oh, maybe it's time to get out. And then they turn the corner and have a whole bunch of success and they're like, no, I'm loving this again. Woohoo, you know. <laughs> um, the power of a I win. think what, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> so, and, and I think a lot of people kind of get into these down moments and sometimes, you know, it's the expression, this is an expression in Australia. I don't know if you use this in the US that, this much, but it's the straw that breaks the camel's back. You know, it's the it's the tiny little thing that goes wrong that finally breaks the whole thing. Mm. And and the owner wakes up one day and goes, screw it, man, I'm over this shit, I want out. And so I get this call going, hey, Simon, like, can you help me sell my business? I, wa- I want to get out yesterday. <laughs> I'm like, okay, like, you probably shouldn't rush this thing, right? Like, yeah. this is, you, once you sell it, it's sold, right? And we only get one chance to do this kind of really well. Well, that's not 100% true. Like, if it, the sale doesn't go through, you can always do it again. But it costs time and money and, you know, all this sort of stuff. It's stressful selling businesses. So, so don't leave it to the last minute where you wake up one day and say, I've got the shit, so I'm, I'm so over this, so I just want to get out. You know, you need to plan. Um, doing the transaction itself, you know, and this gives you a little bit of an idea of timelines, right? It t- I always tell my clients, give yourself up to 12 months. From the day we start working on your project, give me at least, say, 12 months. Now, it's probably likely I'll sell it somewhere between six to nine months, but you've got to allow for 12 months because little hiccups and things, you know, may not go to plan. So if it's 12 months to sell it, right, you might actually be asked to hang around by the buyer for another year or two. So you could end up working in this business for another two to three years and we're starting to sell tomorrow, mm. right? So, you know, if you want to get out now, like that's that could be a problem for you. Um, now, not to mention, if you come to me and said, hey, Simon, I think my business is worth five million bucks, uh, can you sell it for me? And then I look at it and say, well, sorry, Enrique, I think it's only worth three million and I can only sell it for probably three million. You've now got this crisis of your life saying, well, do I go to market and sell and just accept the three million, which is below what I want, or do I go back to the drawing board and continue to grow and build to that five million? And if I'm going to do that, how long does that take? You know, let's say that took two years. Well, now I've got two years of building, a year of selling, and two years as a handover in it. I'm still working for the next five years. That's not my plan. I woke up this morning and wanted to get out. So, um, so that's that. That lack of sort of thinking and planning around an exit is what the, is the biggest issue when people go to sell. Now, I'll, I'll share with you one last little mistake that a lot of people make is that they fall into this trap of thinking that business sales is kind of pretty straightforward and simple, and you know, um, and they're having those ups and downs and thinking maybe about getting out at some point, and then one day they get this lovely little proverbial tap on the shoulder from the supplier or the friend or the competitor who maybe they know a little bit about who says, hey, uh, we're really interested in buying your business. And, of course, the business owner, first thing that happens is, you know, chest puffs out a little bit, sitting up a bit straighter, feeling pretty cool, you know, my ego's starting to puff up a little bit. Someone wants to buy my business. This feels great. You know, it's nice to be in demand. (laughs) Um, 
The problem with that is that usually those people who tap you on the shoulder, they've usually got a lot of experience around this stuff. They're usually pretty savvy at it. And most of the business owners I speak to have never sold a company before. Mm. And what I find is that in those situations, there's only one girl at the dance, right? Mm. (laughs) You're only dealing with one prospective buyer. And that girl has all the power, all the say. They'll pick who they want to dance with and when they want to dance. And so our clients end up getting taken and put through the buyer's process. The buyer wants information. And it all starts off very friendly, right? Hey, we're all kind of really good, you know, connection. This is a great vibe. Hey, send us some financials. That's cool. Hey, can you send us a bit more stuff? Hey, listen, I'm going to introduce my accountant now. Oh, he's got some questions. Yeah, send us more stuff. And then he comes the lawyer. And, da, da, da. and the next thing they find is that they've spent nine months handing over information, or as we say in our business, you know, opening the kimono, you know, lifting the kilt, whatever you want, you know, you're showing them <laughs> things you don't really want to show them, right? right, right. <laughs> and, and they keep asking for more. And after a while, you start feeling like, hey, this wasn't as, it doesn't feel as friendly as it used to feel. And I'm feeling a little bit like I'm being squeezed here. And, and the problem there is the business owner this whole time has started mentally spending the money. Oh, yeah, man, I'm going to sell my business. This feels great. I'm going to make millions. I'm, oh, I'm going to go on that holiday I've never taken. I'm going to. And then what ultimately happens in a lot of cases is that buyer will drag them through their process, which, keep in mind, is designed to get the buyer a good outcome, not the seller. Yeah. And then after nine months of mucking them around, they lowball them. Hey, I know uh, we originally said five million, but um, we, after all this work we've done, we think it's only worth three. So, you know, you really should take the deal. After all this time, you're tired. You want to go. <laughs> okay, that was my um, next question. It's, well, you know, why would they milk the cow so much? I know there's a motive. Yeah. There's always a motive, but why? So they do it to, corporate, to, to drain and exhaust to, to present the lowball. This is corporate M&A 101, right? And it's funny because I've had M&A advisors in large corporates who kind of when I had this discussion, they laughed and go, oh, yeah, man, like that's just a common – that's just a common approach. Mm. Now, it's not saying everybody does that. Not right. everybody is kind of deep, dark and manipulative. But that situation often evolves, sometimes even unintentionally. Mm. Oh, they keep asking for more information. We're a corporate. We've got 10 stakeholders who need to sign off on their little division or their little part of this deal. Hey, Bob wants more information. Mary wants more information. And they just keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And in the end, they're like, well, we don't really want to pay that $5 million and let's just, you know. Mm. Um, and if they're the only, once again, if they're the only girl at the dance, then at the end of the day, they've got all the power, right? Mm. Hey, we're looking at lots of businesses. Yours is just one of them. We may decide to buy it. We may just walk away. Yeah, they got the Either way, our business keeps going. No. Yeah, but you, this is your only company. And so now you've been put through this process, you've wasted so much time, you've ultimately really wasted a lot of money as well. You're probably engaged advisors, there's an opportunity cost to your time. Mm -hmm. Um, It's horrendous. And so, you know, I I get lots of clients to come to me after having been through that experience and say, never again. Um, And as I explain to them, and it sounds pretty obvious when I say this, but... It's one of those things that you have to kind of go through. It's either you like go through it the hard way or you can learn from somebody like yourself so that way you can keep an eye out for it. Because sometimes, look, and I've been I've been guilty of this. I'm Absolutely. sure you might have too where like you, you've been told one thing, right? And you know and you look out for it, but somehow you just fall right in it and you do it and then you you truly learn it that way. Like I, sometimes it shit just happens. It, it, oh, man, I'm 
man, hey, hey, we all do that, right? Like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm great at articulating this because I live it and do it every single day. But, uh, you know, the amount of times I'm doing that in the rest of my life, of course, like we're, we're all human. And I think that's a really great thing to mention here is that if you've been through this, hey, don't beat yourself up over it. This is, this is happens a lot out there. Mm. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're all, you know, be kind to yourself, right? Life can be hard enough. The key here is if it's not something you do every day, speak to somebody who does do it every day because at the end of the day, and whether that's us or a company like us, get someone who you feel really comfortable with, who you feel you trust, who you feel has your best interest at heart and work with them because that's that's business, right? We can't be experts at everything. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a question, man, and it's how, like, let's say a business owner, let's say they want to do it themselves, right? We all know somebody. We've all met them. We'll always come across them. It, can you can you sell your own business without working with a company like yours? You know, like is it is it possible? Is it pain in the ass? Like the process? What does it look like? Is this worth it? Not worth it. Yeah. You look. You 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 most certainly can, and lots of people do sell their own companies. Um, I think there's a couple of factors here that are are the main concern, and one is. Not understanding the process. I mean, if you're if you're going for a, a, a walk through the jungle and you've never walked in jungle before, you're probably going to trip over a lot of things that that an experienced hiker is is not going to have problems with, right. right? So it's are you going to get through this process as quickly and efficiently as you could? Maybe, maybe not. Are you going to be able to um, get the best possible valuation? Maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, once again, I mean, if you are just dealing with the one buyer, that may lead to an amazing outcome. It might not. Um, you know, I had a guest on my podcast just yesterday um, and he sold his business for, um, well, because the episodes won't be live immediately, I can say this, but he sold his business for 30 million US. It was a, it was a great deal. Wow. Um, the multiple was fantastic. And, he, and, you know, he got approached by a guy that he knew once before in his life and and they'd had worked together and they had a good relationship and mm. so it kind of worked. Gotcha. Um, but I've heard that story many, many other times where it's gone sour and so even to the point where it's ruined friendships and stuff like that as well. So I, I just come back to the same thing. Like, so Can you sell your own business? Of course you can. But what we've just found over time is that if you run a really tight process and you have good people in your deal team, then you're more likely to get the kind of outcome you want. Um, and let's be honest, right? I mean, if you're going to sell your business, would you like to talk to one buyer or would you might like to have three or four? You know, it's at the end of the day, options and having choice is actually one of the most powerful things in any negotiation process. What are, what are the big factors that impact a business valuation? Yeah, look, there's lots. I mean, it's, and let's, let's pick on a couple. I mean, of course, Financial performance is always going to be important. But I guess if we're going to talk about valuation, let's let's talk about how, you know, very quickly anyway, how most companies get valued. Um, and there are lots of different methodologies. And as a business valuer, we we apply lots of different methodologies in our in our planning and our thinking. But most companies will sell on a multiple of their profit, right? Mm. So, you know, and, and by profit, we're talking predominantly EBITDA. Um, so a multiple of EBITDA. Now, what's the multiple? How do we come up with that number? Um, there are a lot of advisors out there who kind of put their thumb to the wind and say, oh, you're in manufacturing. That means that you're a four times your EBITDA or net profit. 
I'm, I'm always a little bit sceptical of stuff like that. Um, I, I believe that there's a range of factors. You know, no two manufacturing companies are exactly the same. So saying that they should have the same multiple is kind of a bit counterintuitive. Um, there's actually a bunch of non-financial and financial factors within your business, you know, that could make your multiple worth a lot more than somebody else's down the road. Um, and I'll give you an example. Last year, we sold a number of professional services companies. One sold for a two times their profit. One sold for six times their profit. Now, if you both just said, well, you're both professional services, they might have said, well, you're both an average of three or four, but they're not, right? So, so what are some of those factors? Um, clearly, financial performance, as we we're saying, is, is important. And, and size even matters, right? So, you know, a company turning over more than 20 million is going to get a better multiple than a company turning over two. Um, but also, what is the story your financials is, is telling us? Like, are you highly profitable one year and break even the next and then a bit profitable and then break even and, you know, up and down? Um, and if that's the case, you know, your, your story is really kind of sounding a little bit unpredictable. Um, what, about your, what about your margins? You know, a company that's turning over or getting 30% net profit every year is going to do a lot better than a company that's doing, you know, single digit net profit every year. So there's those kind of factors around your financials and the story your financials is telling. But put the numbers aside for a moment. Let's just pick on a couple of other quick factors. One of the big ones I'm going to say is concentration risk. So are you overly dependent on any one customer, supplier or employee? That's an important uh, question to ask. That's a really important question I'll give you, to ask. Yes. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, um, there was a guy, Rick Day, um, ran uh, a company called Daycom Systems. He he had a business selling telco equipment. Now, 75% of his revenue was attributed to reselling products from one supplier. Company turned over about 25 mil, 26 mil. He got a deal done, but he got only about three times his EBITDA up front, and then the rest of it was on an earnout. Um, so, fairly low multiple for a company of that size. And pretty much the buyers pointed out that it's because you've got concentration risk. You know, they pretty much said, if you, uh, if that one supplier has a problem, your entire business is going to fall over. Mm. And so we need to factor that risk into the valuation that we pay. Um, flip it around the other way. You know, what if you're selling 75% of all your services and products goes to one customer? What if that customer leaves, right? <laughs> so... What, what I would always say, and this is a little bit of a tip for your listeners, is I try to coach my clients and, and help them understand not to, you know, you don't want your largest client to be more than about 15%. If you could get it down into single digits, even better. But once you get to about 15%, you know, a little red flag pops up and just says, hey, well, maybe we need to look at this. Um, if it gets to about 25%, you know, well, now we've got red lights flashing and warnings going off and everyone's saying, oh, hang on, that's a bit heavy. And, of course, if you've got to, uh, you know, 50% or something like that, you know, you know those old air siren horns, man, that's what I'm hearing when I say 50%, right? So it's a massive warning. You'd be really discounting valuation based on stuff like that. Um, you know, final one I mentioned was employees. You know, if, if, you're, uh, if you're the colonel, you know, you're Colonel Sanders and you've got 11 herbs and spices and uh, one of your employees is the only person who knows how to make five of those spices, that's a problem. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 
if, if, if you're a SaaS company and there's a special part of your code that only one guy knows and understands how to do and build and work with, that's a problem. So, you know, you've got to think about where, you know, you've got this sort of level of concentration in, in your own business. Um, you know, and, and the final one I'll mention here, Enrique, is um, a little bit outside the concentration risk, but a similar theme is how dependent is your business on you, the owner? Right. Mm. Like, could, could you could you go and take a three month holiday from your business? Um, would your business survive that? <laughs> um, would it be really severely hurt by you taking a three month break, or would it just sail through, or possibly even grow further? Right. Those kind of risk factors is what buyers look at and say, "Well, mate, we're never going to pay you a five or a six multiple for your business. Look at all that risk there." They might still offer you something, but it's going to be massively reduced. Hey, do you have like a rule of thumb when it comes to that? Like, let's say, let's say I'm thinking about selling Essential, right? And Essential's built out, it runs itself. I don't need to be there. Do you have like a rule of thumb that maybe you'll tell people as a tip where it's like, hey, look, if you want to sell your business, your business should be able to run itself for two months by without you or three months without you? Or do you have any sort of like rule of thumb when it comes to just like indicators of knowing when your company is at yeah. the point to where it's okay to exit? Yeah, look, I, I don't have a rule of thumb. And I've, the reason for that is that every business is completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, the ability to take a three-month break and not have to worry about your business, it runs itself. I mean, I think that's a pretty good indicator. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, but what I would say is flip it around the other way for a moment and look, look at, well, who drives the revenue in your business? So I'll give you another example. A friend of mine, Pete Martin, he was also a guest on my, my podcast. Um, he had a services-based business, right? And a lot of service-based businesses are dependent on people, right? So, of course, when he goes to sell his company, just like other service businesses we've had, the buyers are saying, oh, well, how important is the owner? And Hey, we, if, we, if we buy your company, you're going to have to hang around and work with us for another three to five years because we want to make sure that, you know, your clients don't leave when you leave. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we need to transfer those relationships and all that sort of stuff. Um, so Pete, he sold his business to KPMG. It was an eight-figure sum. It was a 12 times EBITDA multiple. That's how, that's how they got to the number. I mean, a 12-time multiple on a service-based business. Mm-hmm. And he had no own out, nothing. They did the deal, they shook hands, they paid the money, and Pete walked off. Now, most people I know would go say, how the hell do you do that in a service-based business? It's really, really simple. Well, it's not simple, actually. I mean, it's simple to say, hard to do, but (laughs) Pete fundamentally built his business in a way where none of the revenue was was dependent on him. Um, You know, he basically could point to it and say, look at all the revenue for the last two years. He goes, I didn't have anything to do with any of it. He goes, sure, I signed the contracts. Mm. So I know the name of the client because I'm the guy who signs the contract. But I've never met that guy. It was those people who drove the deals and brought the revenue in. It's those people who delivered it. So pretty much they said, look, all I do here is kind of cash out and take my checks and I'm a pretty expensive employee and, you know, (laughs) you really probably don't want me. Yeah, Simon, what are some like, what are some key things that a business owner must consider when building out a business for the exit plan because like like yes. we talked about earlier you know like a, a lot of us we go into business like all right how do i build it up how do i scale it how do i grow it but how do you yeah. plan on exiting from the start you know like yeah. t- tell us a little yeah. bit more about that things to look out for 
No, and that's cool. And you know, I think we've 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 covered a lot of it in this way. But let me bundle it to in, in together in a, in a in a way that people can kind of get their heads around. Um, m- most people, if you're in growth phase, you're not necessarily thinking about exit. But what I want to encourage people to do is come up with a number. Let's say somebody did walk in tomorrow with their checkbook and say, "Hey." how much to buy your business, mm. it's good to actually have a number in your head that you know, hey, I would be willing to walk away for that number because that number, and let's let's be honest, don't just kind of do a bit of back of the envelope math. There's a bit of a process to working out what number would make sense for you. So work out what a, num- a walkaway number would look like today. It doesn't mean that you fixated on that forever. In, over in a couple of years' time, that number might change, but have a number in mind so that, you know, it, it's, it takes away a lot of the emotional stress. So that's the money aspect. There's two other things I want people to think about. The second one is timing. How long do I want to keep doing what I'm doing? You know, I gave the example before that you could be having to work for five more years to get your business to the valuation you want, right? Now, if, if the thought of working for another five years is horrible, then, you know, you might have a bit of an issue in, on your hand, right? So uh, ask yourself those deep questions. Involve your family. Involve the people that you love and you care that are important in your life and say, like, how long do I want to keep doing this stuff, right? And, and that's working in the business and doing what you're doing as well as owning the business. And that's an important factor, Enrique, because I have a lot of people who say to me, yeah, this, is, uh, this business is going great. My accountant says it's a cash cow. He's, my accountant tells me I'd be, I'd be crazy to sell this business. Um, and I look and I go, yeah, it is a cash cow. It makes a lot of money for you. That's really great. But if you stop working in the business and you allow someone else to run this company, that business might represent 80% of your entire wealth. You know, it could be worth a lot more than your house and other assets you own. So do you really want to have all your eggs in one basket? And do you really want to let Johnny there, you know, run this, this asset for you? I mean, to me, that's, you know, any investment advisor worth their salt will tell you you need to diversify, right? So you need to, need to assess risk in a different way when you're thinking about that stuff. So timing, how long do you want to keep doing what you're doing? How long do you want to keep owning this asset? The third thing is legacy. And this is kind of a really interesting one because for some people it means nothing and for other people it is everything. Um, So when I talk about legacy, I think people when they traditionally think legacy, they think of like accounting firms, you know. It's um, Enrique and Simon accounting practice. Our name's on the door. I'm worried if I sell it. What does that mean for my name? I want them to not, you know, respect my name and... I don't want to, you know, have that tarnished. Um, and, and, and that is kind of a little part of legacy. But in simple terms, I always say legacy is about what will people say about you when you've left the room, right? Your employees, your customers, your suppliers, all these people you have relationships with. When you walk out of the door, they're going to go, good on Simon. He worked really well. He always treated people fairly. He respected us. He took care of us, you know. Um, and, he, and he earned his exit and, you know, we're happy for him. Go with our blessings. You know, we're going to take the mantle and we're going to take this company to the next level and, you know, it's all positive. You know, or do they walk out and go, oh, geez, that's Simon guy. He was a prick. He screwed us over. He totally sold us down the river and, uh, you know, we got left holding the bag while he goes off with his millions sitting on some island. Mm. Like, now, now, for some people, for some business owners, they'll say, look, I don't really care about that. Like, I've paid my employees fairly. I've always treated them well. I don't have any concerns with that. When I want to sell, I want to sell. I've got other business owners who've said to me, Simon, we've had three offers on the table with one of my clients. They took the lowest of the three offers because they said, I believe that buyer respects the vision I had for this company more. 
and they respect the employees and they'll take better care of them. So I'd rather take a little bit less money knowing that I can sleep at night, that, that all, that's all going to be taken care of. That's big, man. That's big. That's very uncommon too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it is. You know, I think in this world where I think a lot of it's out there for the money grab. Um, yeah, it's, and, and that's the beauty of my job, to be honest, Enrique, is I get to meet some really cool people like that who have a different view on the world and they, you know, want to make a difference. So, um, you know, that's the privilege we get. Simon, paint a picture for us because I feel like when, and me too, because I don't know too much about like this topic either, but like when someone thinks of like selling the business, exiting their business, what does that process really kind of look like? You know, like, I guess, what, yeah. like, what, for you, like, if I come to you, Simon, sell my business, man, I just want to get out. I've, yeah. I've put in my time. Yeah. What does Simon do that's advantageous yeah. for me? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, so I'll explain our process, and, I'll, and while we're doing it, I'll, I'll touch on a couple of areas for people to be careful or be mindful of if they're out talking to other advisors. Um, and look, clearly, we don't service the entire world. So, you know, if you're selling your business in, um, what state are you in, Enrique? I'm in New York State. Okay. So if you're in New York and selling your business, clearly I can't do it for you because I can't be there. But uh, um, so you're going to be talking to somebody local. But keep in mind a couple of things. Um, first of all, make sure you, you, you feel right about these people. Trust your gut when you're making these assessments around picking advisors. But once a client tells us, we want you to sell our business. Let's go. We sign up. We generally will take around about six weeks as what I call the pre-listing phase where we're really just getting everything ready. You know, we're, we're getting our heads into the mind of these business owners. As I always say to them, I need to know your business well enough that I can, that I can talk about it as if it's my own. You know, I want to be able to sit across the table from a buyer, look them in the eye and be able to say, no business is perfect. But this business has a lot of value in it. And if you give me the opportunity, I'll explain why this one is the value we believe it is. Um, now, that takes some effort and time and, and, and you actually have to give a shit about what you're doing to be able to kind of get to that level of knowledge in a quick period of time. We're also building out an information memorandum, which, you know, or, or in the US, they call it a SIM a lot, a confidential information memorandum. Um, and that document is really a, a fulcrum that you're going to be using to sell the business. You know, it's a document that you share with prospective buyers that explains the opportunity, the background of the company and everything else. Um, now, to give you an idea, that shouldn't be a three page poorly formatted Word document. Um, you know, ours are typically 40, 50, I've seen them 60 pages and they're detailed and they're glossy and they look good because let's be honest, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And that, that I am, that sim helps make that impression in the minds of the buyers, right? And it also tells them, by the way, just how much effort you put in and how professionally you run things. So it, it has a lot of implications. You've got to build out your data rooms. You know, you say all the online data rooms, all the access and the information for due diligence and that sort of stuff. You want that ready. And the reason you want it ready is because let's say the day we pull the trigger of the campaign, the world's greatest buyer walks in the door and says, walks through the virtual door these days, <laughs> but walks it through the, through the door and says, I love it. I want to buy it. I'm ready. Here's my office. Sign up. Send me all your information. And you go, oh, hang on. Well, we, we actually don't have all that ready yet. Um, yeah, can you give us a couple of days, which ends up being a week or two, um, you know, and you're fumbling around looking for stuff. Like, number one, the, the buyer's thinking to themselves, God, if it's that hard for you to just get your hands on that basic information, what else is wrong with your mm -hmm. business? Yeah. All right. Um, and two, 
if somebody wants to buy from you and they're keen, the last thing you want to do is like slow them down, right? You want to, you want to give them everything they need, give them more, give them extra. <laughs> um, you know, make sure that you are raising the objective objections and handling them. And you can't do that if you're not organized. So all of that stuff is absolutely critical. The other part in that pre-listing phase is actually building your marketing campaign. So where we're actually going to find buyers, all right? And there's a number of different ways, and I won't bore everybody today with the micro detail on that, but we, we have both an inbound campaign and an outbound campaign. Um, and there's lots of market mapping and working out who the strategic buyers are, both internationally and domestically. Um, and then we actually do a lot of outbound stuff. So it's quite labour intensive, um, and that's why people and systems and process around this stuff is so important. Um, so once you've lined up all your ducks, um, you know, we say, I, I always tell my clients, it takes about six weeks, and that's assuming they can give me their information fairly quickly. Then we pull the trigger on the campaign. And, and realistically, that campaign, I generally have a really good idea who the buyer's going to be within about four to five months. So, so and this is why I say, look, I, I would say to my clients, give me 12 months, but if everything goes to plan, we should have this done in six or seven but it could fall anywhere between 6 and 12. Right. Um, gotcha. So, and, and, and I think too, Enrique, one, one little tip there, and I think this is part of the reason why people engage us as opposed to doing it themselves, is that when they've tried to do it themselves, they realise how much work's involved. <laughs> you know, yeah, there's a lot um, of I've heard people sort of say, oh, mate, it's huge, right? And yeah. so, you know, if you end up getting on calls with 200 people in the next, you know, month, like how much time does that take you if every call is 45 minutes long? Yeah. Like it's it's crazy, yeah. and if you're a business owner, you actually have a business to run. You have a day job. <laughs> you don't need a second day job, right? And yeah. certainly one that could be distracting you from doing your normal day job. And let's be honest, like the last thing you want is to be six months into a process, you finally got a buyer on the hook who's really keen, and your numbers are starting to go down because you're not paying attention to your business. You've been too busy running a process. Mm. And you know what? Another thing too is like. You can't delegate that certain task of selling your business to just anybody, right? Because as a business owner, you, you, you know delegating. I mean, you're selling your business. Yeah. You, you know delegation, but you also know you got to delegate that to somebody who's actually legit, right? Because yeah. next to you, like the owner is wants to sell, <clears throat> the person that you're going to delegate to is the next best thing, if not better. So it's not like they can yeah. pass that on and save their own time either. So, I mean, man, I mean, just the moving parts from... From what I'm hearing, it just sounds like a tremendous amount of work for somebody to take on unless they've you know, got an easy way and somebody comes to them or a friend comes to them or an acquaintance and like, hey, I want to buy this. And it's, you know, yeah. wash your hands and it's easy, but that's not a common thing. Yeah, but, you know, even then, the same amount of work still needs to be done, even if it's your best mate. Really? They're still going to do due, due diligence. Absolutely. They're oh. still going to do due diligence. They're still going to have a team of advisors. They're going to have accountants. They're going to have lawyers. If your business is a certain model, they're probably going to have – like, I'll give you a sense. Like, this business we sold last year, um, they got KPMG in to do the, the financial and tax auditing. They had a minimum of six advisors from KPMG working on those two elements. They had a different com company come in to review all of the insurances and all the insurance risk. They had, uh, their, of course, their legal advisors looked at all the legal risk, all the contracts, all the other sort of stuff. Then they had an integration company come in and talk about integration plans and culture and everything else. So literally we got on one call at one point and we counted the buyers who were private equity representing a competitor had 12 advisors on the call. And, uh, and, of course, from our end, we kind of had a little chuckle and said, well, they're engaged because this is costing them a lot of money, right? They're not going to just spend that and walk away. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so so good sign for us, right? But but it's 
it's a deep process. And, and even if it's somebody you know, they're going to still need to do due diligence. And so my, my argument, I guess my point to a lot of business owners is if you're going to go through the cost and the time of preparing a due diligence data room and you're going to go through all the effort of due diligence, do you really just want to speak to one person, like one buyer? Mm-hmm. Surely, surely you want to run a process and see who else is out there because the next guy might have some strategic lever that, you know, he values your business at a lot higher than the guy you're currently talking to. So... I love that. You know, dude, dude, there's so much that goes into into this that you just don't know until you know, until you learn, yeah. until you hear somebody actually tell you about it. And and like yeah. I, that on top of like this just not being a common uh, spoken topic. And I'm sure right now the audience listening, because we have fans over, our audience is over 25 different countries. All the way from Australia to Asia to to Mexico, we have over twenty five countries, and I'm sure right now they're probably like, "Holy shit, <laughs> this is a lot." There's a lot that goes into this, <laughs> and there's a reason. Like, there's a reason why yeah. Simon's on the show, guys, and it's for this reason too. Um, Simon, before we wrap up, man, is there anything else that that the listeners should know when it comes to either a selling your company or building it to sell it? Or maybe just mindset. Yeah. Is there anything else that you know? I know we covered a tremendous amount. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I think probably just reiterating or, you know, paraphrasing something I was saying earlier is that, you know, we, we can talk all lots about how to grow and how to build value and how to, how to build revenue and profit. And all that stuff is fun and it's cool. I love it. It's enjoyable and it's important. But before we talk about all that sort of stuff, before you talk about all that sort of stuff with yourself, I want everyone to think about what's really, really important to their life. You know, what's really, what kind of life do you want to lead? What kind of things are really important to you? Your business should be a vehicle for delivering you the life you want. Don't sacrifice your life for a bit of vanity metrics and a little bit of extra revenue and a little bit of extra this and that that's, you know, quite frankly, a bragging point to maybe you and one or two of your business partners. Um, You know, I've seen too many clients who after 50 years of business building are in tears because they don't have the kind of relationship with their kids that they wanted or their grandkids now. And, mm-hmm. you know, that pri- the price they paid in other areas of their life has been far outweighing any kind of money they've, they've made. Um, and frankly, many of them will give up a lot of money to get it back, but they can't. So think about your life first and then let's build a business to give you the life you want. I love that. Don't fall down the rabbit hole. Indeed. Indeed. Simon, where can we find you? You know, two places I would say. LinkedIn is, is your friend with this stuff. I'm, on, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, if anything I've said today resonates, you can see we've got a lot of content on LinkedIn and our website for that matter. So um, the website's exitadvisory.com.au, exitadvisory.com.au. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Um, Simon Bedard, that's B-E-D-A-R-D. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. There is another Simon Bedard who actually does similar stuff to me out of Canada. It's kind of funny, um, but I'm the bald guy, so uh, you he's know, not as definitely handsome. the far more handsome one. He's not yeah, as yeah, handsome. always the handsome ones, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, look, I'm on LinkedIn. Please feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to connect with people. But do me a favor if you send me a connection request, please put a little note saying that you heard me on this podcast. And then I'll know why you're reaching out and I will just connect with you and happy to have a conversation. So um, so I look forward to chatting to anyone who wants to touch base. I love that, Simon. Dude, today, I can't appreciate enough 
all the knowledge that you dropped um for me alone like it's great that i put you on here for everybody that's listening in over the 25 countries but i know like the one person that i can guarantee you benefits the most from from this is me it's me because i because like i am building a portfolio of companies and i want to sell i build to sell so i haven't sold one yet but man this is this is what it's about because there's just so much that goes into it so many moving parts that you just don't know that you just guys another thing too like i want to say to the audience real quick guys you can do it yourself or you can find a professional and you can save a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of mistakes i mean obviously if you made this far in the episode you could see the value and bring on somebody that's an expert and a professional in any aspect too it's worth it the payout's there all you have to do is make the investment simon thank you brother appreciate it my absolute pleasure it's been a pleasure to come on the show thanks for giving me the opportunity i love talking and uh hey anytime if you guys uh, anyone needs anything feel free to reach out we, we love to share and we love to help people Hey, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you were willing to take away a lot of great things from that episode. We only bring great people on the show that can provide a lot of value, only the high-performing entrepreneurs. So I hope you were able to take some great things away from that. Look, I'm coming at you right now with a quick message. We are opening back our one-on-one sales mentoring again. So this is a boot camp training. We focus on very few people. It's quality over quantity. And we do this once in a while for that same reason. So if you want to expand your sales skills, better your understanding, reading people, but also rewire yourself for high performance, then this is for you. It's not for everybody because not everybody wants to change their mindset and to rewire themselves. So that's exactly what we do. Uh, I can give you all the great details, but if you're interested enough, feel free to reach out. If not, no sweat. Please leave us a review on the podcast. Let us know what you would love to hear next. I love your support. Thanks to you guys. We have over 27 countries on our international audience list. So that's all to you.